three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff. This is Nuclear Knowledge. Production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another exciting episode of Nuclear Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. The views of the host are his own, and those views come from me, your host, Jim Petrosky, and today's show is a continuation of the multi-part series about the Nuclear Command, Control, and Communication System, often referred to as the NC3 system. Today, I will focus on some of the sensor functionality and strategies used to provide early warning of a potential nuclear attack. As a reminder, the NC3 system is an essential and critical component of our nuclear deterrent. According to Air Force Doctrine Publication 3-72, It is a means through which presidential authority is exercised and operational command and control of nuclear operations is conducted. The sensors are a component of an integrated tactical warning attack system, ITWA system. According to the Nuclear Weapons Handbook at OSD.mil, its primary functions are surveillance, correlation, warning, and assessment. These functions are further detailed in that Nuclear Weapons Handbook. For surveillance, the sensors must provide a complete, ever-present picture of threats from important geographical regions under various natural and or man-made environments, giving our NC2 element the maximum time and the most reliable information for assessing and decision-making. In modern terms, this assumes the use of space for persistent global sensing, but this does not preclude ground, sea, and air-based sensing or monitoring, again providing many ways in which to detect a potential attack, which allows for correlation. The details about how each system works are well beyond this nine-minute knowledge podcast, and the specifics can sometimes lead to classification restrictions. Therefore, I'll give some generalities that should pique your technical interests. First, and most importantly, is the determination of the threat signature. The signature is some aspect of the attack that can be sensed. For example, if your expected signature is visual, then the sensor must be sensitive to visible light. If you are the sensor, and yes, a person can be a sensor with a highly technical set of sensitive biological visible light sensors, referred to as eyes, then your eyes must respond to the visible light from an attacking vehicle of some type. Although visible light may be useful for a daytime attack, if the attack occurs at night, there will be no reflected light from the attacking vehicle. In short, the vehicle will be in the dark. And perhaps you may not have thought of it this way before, but an object is only seen because light, for example, sunlight, is actively interrogating the object and you see that reflected light. So this type of sensing is not passive, but active, requiring some other signal, sunlight, that is not emanating from the object to allow for sensing. Therefore, an alternative signal, such as the heat signature 
or infrared light can be used to provide a signature that actively comes from the vehicle itself. This is often referred to as an IR signature. IR sensors are often used in space systems where the IR light, especially from the rocket engine, can traverse the thin atmosphere to a satellite positioned at high altitudes above them. If the signal is sensed and tracked or followed, such a system can detect speed and direction. The use of IR sensing of rocket engines is also useful for another reason, contrast. Contrast means that the signature you seek is distinctly different from others in the environment of interest. As an example, pick up a piece of white paper. Look at it closely. Do you see the white bunny in the snow? It's right there in front of you. You don't see it? Well, that's because the white bunny, the object, has no contrast against the snow. Trust me, it's on every white piece of paper. At least that's what I see. Anyway, the heat signature from a rocket engine is a broad electromagnetic signal, which follows a very well-known distribution of energies. So sensors designed for detecting and tracking rockets are especially sensitive to the unique rocket engine heat signature. Furthermore, the heat signature is unique among terrestrial signals, such as Canadian forest fires or Adam Lowther's big 4th of July party grill and other hot objects visible from space. Therefore, a plume IR signal is a good signature for tracking a rocket or something with a high heat engine. An active sensor uses radio waves detected into likely avenues where an attack may traverse. If waves can interact with the attacking vehicle and reflect, then a sensor can receive the reflected signal, providing information that an object has crossed the beam. And from Ghostbusters, we know that would be bad. Again, if the signal can be detected at multiple times and location, speed and direction can be determined. This is primarily the concept behind active tracking radar, which is often employed along the ground, sea, or in air-based stations. An important restriction is that the radio wave signal must be of a frequency and strength that can penetrate the atmosphere to the object, reflect, and return to the radar sensors. Therefore, some radar sites for NC3 require large radar antennas and much power. Lastly, all sensors must be capable of surviving the natural and man-made environments in which they are used. For space-based sensors, they must be able to survive the extreme temperature changes that occur on the sun side and the dark side of a satellite, along with the natural and man-made radiation environment of space. Because of size, weight, and power requirements, better known as SWAP, space-based sensors must be lightweight and require low power, which often suggests sensitive electronic systems. Ground-based radars must be robust to the elements as well, especially those employed in the Arctic regions or near ocean waters. Since these sensors consume large amounts of power, maintenance of the associated power systems and general maintenance and upkeep is an important part of these systems. So, by way of review, sensors provide surveillance, correlation, warning, and assessment. Sensors 
are designed with a specific signature of interest, and that signature must have a contrast with the environment in the sensing region. And we design and develop our sensors to do exactly that. And yes, look closely, there is a bunny there. Thank you for listening to today's Nuclear Knowledge Show. I hope you learned something new and valuable about deterrence. Stay tuned to the following weeks where we will discuss in more detail about the NC3 system. Nuclear Knowledge is a production of NIDS, a 501c organization dependent upon donations to provide this podcast. Every donation helps keep this and many other deterrence-related activities happening and helps bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. This podcast is produced weekly and each episode is released on Monday. If you enjoyed this show, check out our other podcast, The Nuclear View. You can catch it and all of our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com. I thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear knowledge. A production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies.